Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, your weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean Cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hochberg, and this is episode number 493. So, planning a cruise, where do you get started, and how do you really approach planning a cruise for the first time today? We've got a 101 look at planning a cruise. Here we go. You're ready to plan your first cruise, but not sure where to start? Welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you over here because the good news is cruising is easier than it looks, but like any form of travel out there, there are a lot of considerations and important do's and don'ts when it comes to doing it well. After all, you're going to spend thousands of dollars on a vacation, so you might want to make sure you get the most out of that investment. So today's episode, I want to focus on the basics. Where do you get started planning a cruise? Because we get a lot of podcast listeners that are brand new, or at least they're looking at planning a cruise for the first time. And if that's you, then hopefully this will help provide you some helpful information. And if you've been there, done that, this is a good brushing up option. Maybe this is a good way to kind of, you know, maybe showcase what cruising is all about to friends and family who are considering doing it for the first time. So number one, where do you want to cruise to? It's debatable which aspect of the cruise you want to start with first, but I think it makes the most sense to pick which part of the world you want to visit on a cruise ship. Royal Caribbean offers cruises to Alaska, the Caribbean, Europe, Asia, and Australia. So, and there are repositioning cruises and other sailings too. A lot of choices out there. Many people that have never cruised before often have an idea in mind for where they want to sail to. So I think it makes sense to narrow your search to one region. There isn't a right or wrong choice for a first timer, by the way. So there's no sense in going somewhere you are interested in visiting just because it's cheaper out there. You may pick one region and then decide to change to another region because of prices or logistics or some other factor. But I think it's easier to start with one area and plan from there. So in your head, you've got to think, okay, well, Caribbean, Alaska, Europe, whatever, figure that out. Next up is budget. And we'd love to all book the most extravagant suite on this dream itinerary that visits these amazing places. But the reality is money is the ultimate equalizer. So you need to be realistic about what you can afford. Like any vacation, you probably have a ballpark idea of how much you're willing to spend. And it's a good idea to have that number in mind when picking the right cruise for you. The truth is, the price of a cruise can vary greatly depending on a variety of factors. For example, three-night weekend sailing for two adults can start as low as $550 for two adults. On the other hand, a splurge on an expansive multi-story suite could cost $80,000 for your entire family. Of course, the cost of a cruise can vary depending on itinerary, ship selection, how long you sail for, how many people are joining you on board, and when your chosen date of your cruise is. It's important to do your research and compare the different packages before selecting the best option for you. You'll need to not only consider the cruise fare, but also shore excursions, getting to and from the ship, and other incidental costs. A cruise is one of the best vacation values out there because of everything that's included with your fare, but you need to realize how much more it's going to cost beyond the cruise fare and still be able to afford all of it. New cruisers may be surprised to find extras not included in the Royal Caribbean cruise, such as drink packages, internet access, shore excursions, spa services, and more. So when you're budgeting, don't just look at the cruise fare and say, all right, that's it. We got it covered. You want to make sure you're accounting for other things because those extras, especially shore excursions, really do make up the total vacation experience. And for a lot of people, they're indispensable. All right, so we know where we're going. We have an idea of our budget. So let's choose a cruise ship out there because Royal Caribbean offers a fleet of almost 30 ships. You might be considering how to pick the right ship for you. First and foremost, not every cruise ship is the same. In fact, Many ships differ from sister vessels in the same class, so don't assume they're all the same. There is no bad ship to pick, but you need to figure out which activities and amenities are important to you to figure out which ship has those. 
So in the first step, we talked about which region you want to sail to, and that will dictate which subset of ships are available. If you want a summer Caribbean cruise, you may find many ships in Europe, and that leaves you with less choices than a winter Caribbean cruise. So it's a good idea to make a list of things that you absolutely want to have on a cruise ship to help narrow down the list. Some popular considerations are, does a ship have water slides? A nursery if you have toddlers or infants? Is there a lot for kids and slash teens to do? Is there a Broadway show on board? Is it a new ship or an old ship? Does it have a specific specialty restaurant? Now, there's plenty more than that. But these are the usual things that people think about when choosing a ship. If you have kids, it's a really good idea to pick an Oasis or Quantum class ship because of all the things there are for kids to do on board. But if you're seniors cruising as a couple, those same activities might not matter to you. Speaking of picking a cruise, as you're looking through this, you might come to this conclusion. Why is this ship so much cheaper or less expensive than the others? So in your search, you find one ship or sailing coming in significantly less than the rest. If you're like me, you might be wondering, is there a good reason? What's the catch for this, right? The pricing of any cruise relies on many factors, but usually it boils down to one of these three issues. Number one, how new world the ship is. Number two, which home port it's sailing from. And number three, overall demand for that particular sailing. In general, newer ships tend to cost more than older ships. This is just because newer ships offer more to do and they command a premium price. In addition, Certain home ports are less desirable than others. Don't read anything into this beyond the logistics of things. So all the people that live in Baltimore and Galveston and San Juan, Puerto Rico, nothing against where you live. It's just the realities of logistical travel over there, right? So cruises from Florida's East Coast tend to have higher prices than cruises from Florida's West Coast or Baltimore or Galveston. This is because newer and bigger ships are on Florida's East Coast, whereas older ships tend to sail from the other ports. The exact itinerary can also play a role in pricing as there can be less demand for cruises that are longer than seven nights. This has more to do with families' abilities to take that much time off of school or work, especially here in the U.S. All right, so you got a ship kind of picked out. Now let's look at the cruise cabin. Related to your ship choice will be which type of stateroom you want to stay in. There are lots of cabins across many categories. Rooms come in various sizes, layouts, views, and amenities. Just like the cruise ship, what matters to you is the most important consideration here. There are four basic types of cabin categories. Inside, ocean view, balcony, and suite. As you probably guessed, inside cabins cost the least, but offer the smallest space and no outside views. A Royal Caribbean suite is the largest cabin with lavish furnishings and plenty of space, but it's going to cost significantly more. When it comes to selecting an ideal cabin for a vacation, there is no one-size-fits-all solution. Some people will prioritize price over luxury, and others will rationalize a vacation is worth a splurge. So in choosing your cabin, you got to weigh the budget, where the cabin is located, and of course, stateroom type and size. Your vacation budget may dictate which cabin categories are within reach. Someone on a tight budget may not be able to even consider a balcony or a suite, but if you can spend more, there's a wider range of choice out there. For those looking to save money or make the most out of their time on board, an inside cabin might be the way to go. These rooms offer all the comforts of a traditional hotel room without having natural light or outdoor settings. Inside rooms are generally more affordable than other options, but they still have various amenities such as comfortable beds, private bathroom, and a flat screen TV. If you want to take in some ocean views while on board, an ocean view room could be what you're looking for. And these cabins come with large windows that allow you to enjoy plenty of natural light during the daytime. Of course, a balcony has an indoor and outdoor space at usually a very affordable rate compared to suites anyway. You'll get a private balcony that you can enjoy at your convenience and balconies tend to be very popular among most cruisers. Finally, if you'd like the ultimate luxury on board, well then a suite might be the right choice for you. Suites come with extra amenities, such as separate living areas and luxurious bathrooms equipped with 
spot-like showers, or whirlpool tubs, which are perfect for taking some time from sightseeing or partying. Plus, many suites are located in prime locations on board, giving you easy access to all the ship has to offer. So if you're going on a shorter cruise, it may not be worth investing in an expensive room since you'll probably be running around trying to enjoy as much as possible during your voyage. But if you're embarking on a longer journey, having a larger and more luxurious room can make all the difference in terms of comfort and relaxation. Having more space means being able to spread out and truly indulge in your cruise experience. You can take naps, read books, or watch the beautiful landscape pass by from your private balcony. So there's considerations there. I think for a lot of people, it's a combination of price and what their tastes happen to be. So what should you look for in a cruise price before you actually book anything? Because cruise prices are advertised as being simple, but when you dig into it, there's a lot more that's there, right? As I talked about earlier, the cost can really vary. Sometimes cabins can cost just a couple hundred dollars and suites can go like $75,000, right? It's just all over the place. Almost any cabin you pick is based on double occupancy. So that means Royal Caribbean is assuming there will be two people in the room and charge you for each person. Doesn't matter how old these first two people are, the price doesn't change. If you're looking to book a cruise by yourself as a solo cruiser, you still have to pay a single supplement fee to make up for the loss of revenue for the second passenger in your room. While there are a few studio cabins that don't have a single supplement fee, they're very few and far between. So you can certainly look for them, but honestly, you should plan on just paying that single supplement fee. It's just the reality of the cruise industry. When you choose a cabin, Royal Caribbean may give you the choice of picking a cabin or letting them pick it. By letting them pick, you'll get a guaranteed cabin. This means you will not get any cabin of lesser category, but the cruise line will pick it later for you. Guaranteed cabins have the advantage of being cheaper, but the exact location is up to Royal Caribbean, and you may end up with a room at the end of the ship or an obstructed view altogether. The price of your cruise will include cruise fare, taxes, and port fees. You optionally can add gratuities or travel insurance to that cost. Then there's the extras we talked about earlier that are not included with the cruise fare, like Wi-Fi, beverages, excursions, and more. Equally important, by the way, is the fare type you select. Royal Caribbean has non-refundable and refundable cruise fare. Just like an airplane ticket, non-refundable cruise fares are cheaper, but come with penalties for canceling or changing. Refundable cruise fares allow changes, but you'll pay more overall. So before you decide on any cabin or fare type, pay special attention to the cancellation policy. One of the top first-time cruise mistakes is booking a cruise and wanting to change or cancel it later. And then they run into strict policies related to changing reservation. So check when final payment date is, and what sort of penalties come with changing your mind later on. All right, so we're talking about booking a cruise, but how do you save money when you're going along this way? Because you have to pay top dollar for your cruise, and there's a few ways you can knock off a few hundred dollars or more from your total cost. Number one, book as early as you can. We talk about this a lot on the podcast. It's super important. Try to book your cruise as early as you can because prices tend to be cheapest when booked early. If you can book your cruise 6, 12, or 18 months ahead of time, you can really get a much better price than somebody that books closer to the sailing. Plus, you'll have a greater selection of cabins. Another good way to save money is to cruise during shoulder season. It's actually one of my favorite ways to save money. Every region that cruise ships visit have a peak season, a low season, and a shoulder season. Shoulder season is the time period between peak and low season where you'll find slightly cooler temperatures, but an affordable price point. This is a great option if you're looking for a balance between temperature, weather in general, let's just call it that, and cost effectiveness. Prices will be higher in peak and lower in other times of the year, but there can be trade-offs in cruising in lower demand times of year, such as temperatures, crowds, or precipitation. So just because shoulder season is a better value doesn't necessarily mean you're getting the best weather out there. Keep that in mind. Another way to save money is something we just talked about, booking a guaranteed cabin. If you're not picky about where your cabin is located on the deck, guaranteed rooms can save a lot of money. Some people want to be in a specific location, but if you don't mind a longer walk to your room, to the elevators, a guaranteed cabin can save a lot. When you book a guarantee, Again, you won't know the location until a little closer to your sale dates. So keep that in mind. 
So we're going to assume now that you've gotten to the point of picking your cabin, picking your ship, picking your itinerary. You got something booked there. You're ready to now plan the next phase of your cruise, and that is cruise add-ons and extras. Royal Caribbean gives guests two choices for gratuities. Prepay them before the cruise or get them charged automatically every night of the cruise. Gratuities, by the way, are compulsory and cover your stateroom attendant and dining room staff. It does not include gratuities for other crew members or purchases, such as drinks or spa services. The advantage of pre-purchasing gratuities is that it locks in the gratuity rate in case Royal Caribbean raises the price later on, and it's one less charge on your bill at the end of the cruise. Travel insurance is another optional add-on that you can buy through Royal Caribbean, or you can do it on your own through a third party. Like all insurance, travel insurance is probably a waste of money until you actually need it, and then it's the best investment you've ever made. Travel insurance doesn't cover every scenario, but it does help a lot if there's unforeseen circumstances that require you to cancel a cruise, especially at the last minute. Without it, you'll be left potentially with a major penalty for canceling and lots of money lost on a vacation you didn't go on. For peace of mind, I really recommend getting travel insurance. Next up are the optional add-ons that can be purchased prior to the cruise on Royal Caribbean's Cruise Planner website. You can buy drink packages, dining packages, Wi-Fi excursions, and many other extras. And buying them in advance will cost you nothing more than if you bought it on board. In fact, many of these items are cheaper if you book it before the cruise. We've talked about some of these items in other episodes and YouTube videos. Check those out for more detailed information about that. Now let's talk about packing for your cruise. Because what do you pack for a cruise seems to give a lot of first-time cruisers a lot of anxiety because they're worried that they'll be ostracized for not being properly dressed. Yes, there are dress codes on Royal Caribbean ships, but they're far less stringent than it may seem on paper. A good idea is to find a good cruise packing list. We have some on RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com because it gives you a good starting point of what you need to bring with you. Also keep in mind the weather you're going to. As a warm weather destination, we'll need more comfortable and lightweight clothing than a cruise to cooler climate weather. So packing for an Alaska cruise involves much different packing than a Bahamas cruise. So think about your plans for each port you'll visit, as well as what you're going to wear for meals at the ship's restaurants. There's a couple more things that you need to do as part of the overall cruising experience, at least up front anyway, and that is do the online check-in. It really makes a difference to do the online check-in via the Royal Caribbean app. 45 days before the cruise sails, you can get your check-in time via the app, and it's super important to get a convenient time for you and just go in the app, make sure you have it downloaded beforehand, and then you just go in there, grab a time, and you're good to go. It's really important to complete all these questions before the cruise begins. It just makes the in-terminal experience so much better. And that leads us to, well, it's our last on my list here, but obviously there's more than this in planning an effective cruise, but that is shore excursions, right? Because you're going to visit probably at least one cruise port during your sailing, if not more. And when you visit a port, you don't need to have a tour booked, but I really think it's advantageous to have a plan of action in place. You can simply walk off the ship and walk around on your own, but not every cruise port is really good for this idea. So your best bet is to definitely book a tour before the cruise begins to assure yourself of a spot and have a plan locked in to avoid wasting time figuring out what you're going to want to do. Certainly, Royal Caribbean sells its own shore excursions through its website before the cruise, as well as on board the ship. And by the way, if you're booking your cruise many months ahead of time, more than six months ahead of time, you may not see excursion options listed on Royal Caribbean's website. Don't worry, they'll eventually show up there. Excursions through the cruise line are curated and generally reliable. Nearly all are run by third-party operators, but they're vetted by Royal Caribbean to ensure it meets certain criteria. Plus, booking them is really simple via the Royal Caribbean website. Of course, tours booked through the cruise line will probably cost you more because the cruise line is taking a percentage of the cost for themselves. Plus, tours offered by the cruise line are not necessarily indicative of every type of activity available. At Coco Key and Labadee, you can only book tours through Royal Caribbean. But the other option, other than the private islands, of course, is to book a tour on your own. In any port you visit, there's a myriad of excursion operators that you can book through. You can usually find out most about them 
to just doing an internet search. When booking short excursions on your own, it's really important to look up reviews to determine how reliable and reputable they are. You want to make sure they're not a fly-by-night operation and that you'll be able to get back to the ship before it departs. This is a really good opportunity, by the way, to remind everybody that your all-aboard time of your ship is a requirement to be on board or you'll be left behind. Now, to be fair, one advantage of a Royal Caribbean shore excursion is that if your tour is running late, Royal Caribbean will ensure to get you back to the ship. If you book a tour on your own, the onus is on you to figure out the logistics of getting back on time. So my advice is look at what Royal Caribbean offers for shore excursions and then look at what you can do on your own and determine the best option for you. There isn't a right or wrong answer whether to book a tour through Royal Caribbean or on your own. Each has its pros and cons. Hopefully this approach, by the way, to planning your cruise, especially if you're new to it, will give you a good framework, a good starting place to help plan and get yourself going on the right footing. Time to answer listener emails. You can email me your questions, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. First email this week is from Kelsey from Frisco, Texas. I'm a relatively new listener, watcher of your podcast and YouTube channel. Love all your content and thank you for to you and your team for all that you do. I booked two cruises for next year, Allure and Harmony out of Galveston, and thanks to you, I'm more excited and prepared than ever. Since people are always asking how to know what events or showtimes or activities that might be available on their cruise before the app has provided the information in the cruise planner, I thought I'd share with you a feature in the Royal Caribbean app that I stumbled upon. This feature can be used to preview the current itinerary of any ship on any sail date, even those at sea right now. And I always recommend a past cruise compass, and this seems to be a digital version of that, so I thought I'd share with you and spread the word. Number one, I'll, this is the steps to do it. Click on your profile within the app. To get out of whichever cruise you're viewing, click on select a different cruise at the bottom. Then click on browse our ships at the bottom of your list for upcoming cruises, and then select any ship, any sail date, and it will take you to the ship's cruise planner as if you have it booked. Hope you find this as cool and helpful as I did, and hopefully it helps some people with planning their next cruise. Kelsey, thank you for providing this information, and this has absolutely been a, this is a great tip, actually, to help plan. Basically, what Kelsey's saying, telling you is that you can preview current sailings uh, happening now and get an idea of what to expect. And that's really good, by the way, if there is not a past cruise compass that lines up with your itinerary necessarily. I think the issue with this is just, it's a little cumbersome to get to this particular feature. I'm not even sure Rail Caribbean would call this a feature, but regardless of that fact, hey, it's, it's a great tool to have in your arsenal of planning. So love that. Thank you. Next email is from Greg Walker. Thank you for all your help with making our Royal Caribbean cruise planning much easier and memorable. My wife and I are going on an eight-night Southern Caribbean cruise on Mariner this season in May. We'll have ports in Curacao, Aruba, and Perfect Day at Coco Key. My question is for Curacao and Aruba. We want to spend most of the day at the beach both days and wondered what you suggest. Do we do these ports on our own or do a Royal Caribbean excursion which are about four hours? We're open to your suggestions. We still want a little time to shop during our port days also. I think, Greg, for both ports, you can do things on your own. In fact, um, I, I don't know if there's any, really an advantage to going through Royal Caribbean other than what I talked about earlier in this episode, which, of course, is that you know if you lose track of time, well, the, you're on your own there. But in both situations, both Aruba and Curacao, you can simply take a taxi. Walk off the ship, get a taxi. In Aruba, you can go to Palm Beach or Eagle Beach. Take your pick. They're both, they're both amazing. Curacao, Mambo Beach, there's some other beaches as well, but it's very easy to do this on your own. Um, it's not a long distance at all. So the logistics of it are, are very simple. And so I kind of think you can probably do these on your own quite easily. Again, just take a taxi. My advice to you, though, before you leave home is just have a beach in mind. Like, you know, I mentioned Palm Beach um, or Eagle Beach in Aruba. Actually, in Aruba, you can also maybe get a resort day pass. And that way that gets you not only beach access, uh, but also resort access and lunch potentially. Um, Resortforaday.com is a good one. For Curacao, I'm not sure if they have those options there. You can check it out uh, regardless. But um, 
I, I think doing the beach on your own, especially something that's simple, doesn't require Royal Caribbean. This is true for most sports. I mean, if you're just going to the beach, unless there's a logistical hurdle to get there, all uh, St. John's in the Virgin Islands, uh, you can pretty much do it on your own almost every time. Next, we have an email from Colleen from Massachusetts. I recently found your podcast. I'm in love. I'm in my late 20s and grew up doing Royal Caribbean cruises. So going on the ships and having the old school experiences are very nostalgic for me and my family. The last two cruises I've been on have felt very different. First was on Anthem of the Seas from New Jersey in February of 2017. And the second was Harmony of the Seas from Port Canaveral in February of 2022. I noticed a lack of my favorite experiences, such as the Sail Away Party, Sexy Man Competition, Reggae Band at the pool, parades, dance parties in the pool, etc. I attributed this because of the cold temperatures in New Jersey and then COVID last year. I'm wondering if the smaller ships still have these old school vibes or if there are things of the past. I'm trying to book a cruise for next winter. And your input would be helpful in deciding between ships. Uh, definitely, I, for 22, I can tell you for certain, a lot of the activities you mentioned that were missing from your Harmony cruise are back now. Uh, the pool deck parties, dance parties, parades. I think the, the, the sail away experience on a non- Oasis Quantum Class ship is more what you're looking for, but we're talking about a couple of hours, right? Because the rest of the cruise then, that, that that's done with, right? And I, and I only say that because I think the pool deck experience, like the pool deck sail away party, because the pool deck is more condensed and less spread out, it's more conducive for a, you know, hot, hot, hot kind of party. Uh, if that makes sense. They still do a dance party and a sail away party on the Oasis Class ships. Certainly, the Sexy Man Competition, the, and I think actually the sail away party, think about it. The, the dance parties, the parades, those were not being done because of COVID. And those, some, and actually, they're all back now when some of them only returned fairly recently. So I'm not sure you necessarily need to go on, you know, early into the season in order to experience those things there. So that's the good news, if you will. Um, but if you really like, if you're like, Matt, I really want a, a, a great sailway party, Voyager class ships, Freedom class ships, Radiance class, definitely the way to go there. But again, I wouldn't necessarily book a cruise purely for that. I mean, Maybe it's a great party, but it's only a couple hours. You know, I'm, I'm looking at the bigger picture there. And the good news is they'll still do those kinds of things. But I think if you were trying to ranking sailway parties, certainly older ships, non-Oasis Quantum Class ships have a pool deck that's just a better overall experience because, again, they're smaller. Next is an email from Sean. Matt, I'm a longtime listener and first-time Royal Caribbean cruiser. Thank you so much for all your great content. I have an upcoming cruise on Wonder of the Seas with my family, wife, and four teens. I'm thinking about our packing strategy and disembarkation. We're booked on a 12 p.m. flight out of Orlando on the last day of the cruise. Do you think we will need to opt for self-assist disembarkation or will regular disembarkation move quickly enough to get us to the airport via Uber in time? If we will need to use self-assist, I'm going to try to limit our group to carry-on size bags only. Thanks for all your tips and advice. I think for a noon flight, you're totally fine there, Sean. I mean, you could let Royal Caribbean take your luggage off there. I mean, let's face it. You'll be off the ship well before, gosh, 9 o'clock. I mean, if you're still on the ship at 9 o'clock, you're, you're purposely trying to take your time to get off the ship. And even if you got off the ship at, oh my goodness, like 9.30, which would be like the latest time, right? It takes about, get your luggage, it takes about 45 minutes, maybe a little less to get to the Orlando airport. You're there at, oh, my math is right here, about 10.15, 10.30, 10.45 for a noon flight. I think you'll have plenty of time there, Sean. So um, I, I think more realistically, uh, you're going to get an earlier time than 9 or 9.30. And you can ask for one, by the way. You can tell them, you know, hey, I've got a flight. I'd like to get out of here, you know, 8.30, 8 o'clock. You can easily get a lower luggage tag number. This is true for anybody. You don't even have to have an excuse for it. You just want a lower luggage tag number. Go to get services and ask them for one if you get a higher number. Anyway, um, you'll have no problems at all there. So I don't think you need to do self-assist for that one. Uh, certainly not for a noon flight. I think you'll be good to go. And you're doing Uber, which is exactly what I would recommend. So 
I think you're in, you're I think you're in good situation there. Next email is from Marcy Rubin. Hi Matt, I recently discovered your blog and love listening to your podcast. They're so jam packed with info. I really thought I knew it all until I discovered you. I have a few questions and would like your thoughts. Number one, I recently sailed on Freedom of the Seas and I love the cruise, but felt the but feel that the food is not as good as it used to be. I was really disappointed with the Promenade Cafe. They used to have delicious baked goods, but now the cookies are very small and almost taste like cookies from a package you would get from a grocery store. And what happened to the Ranger cookies? I was really looking forward to those. We got on board and never appeared. What are your thoughts about the bakery? I can tell you for a fact, when I was on Wonder of the Seas uh, two weeks ago, they had Ranger cookies there at, at Cafe Promenade. So, you know, food, of course, is very subjective, Marcy. Um, and I, I can't speak to your experience. Things on there. Certainly the cruise industry always changes and some of the lineup for food changes. I remember going to Cafe Promenade and actually something I miss about them. This is a personal thing is they used to have these great roast beef sandwiches, not the cap, not the park cafe ones, but like a cold roast beef sandwich with a pickle on top. Oh, that was hit the spot. Anyway, I haven't seen those in a while, but you know, I find new things that I like and, and it's okay there. So started to hear the food wasn't as good as it used to be in, in, as you recall. I mean, the nice thing about Royal Caribbean, what I like about them is they're not afraid to change it up and introduce new things there. I remember you know, the, the the menu items that I looked forward to, whether it was in the dining room, or Cafe Promenade, or elsewhere, you know, they were one thing, and they've evolved over the years, and I found new favorites that I like there. So, I, I don't know what to tell you other than, you know, I hope you find some new things that you do like, and, and create some new favorites there. Number two, since I always loved the Cruise Compass, now you can only get it via scanning the QR code. The print is really tiny, I stopped downloading it the first day. Is there any way you can get a printed hard copy? You can ask for it. It's more of a your mileage may vary situation. You can ask your stateroom attendant or go down to guest services to get a hard copy. Um, as I said, I, it's been hit or miss for some people whether or not they can get a hard copy of it, but they do exist. So you can ask for it, but it's not necessarily a given that if you ask, you can get one there. Something to keep in mind, by the way, about the digital version. Number one, you always have the Royal Caribbean app to fall back on. And the app, well, not, uh, if you're used to the compass, I understand the, the difference there. And, uh, you know, you prefer that, but at least the app is a little bit easier to read because you're right, especially on a smaller phone, you got to do a lot of zooming in and out, which is kind of annoying. But, uh, and listen, I, I missed the cruise compass. I actually did a YouTube video about some of the cuts that Royal Caribbean made recently. I should have put the cruise compass on there because that is something I absolutely miss. And, um, I, I really prefer that I, I'm a, as you all know, a big nerd, love digital, everything, always go on the internet on my cruises. So I'm all about the digital life. But man, do I miss the cruise comp, like the paper cruise compass. I really preferred that one personally, but you know, that's a me thing. I'll get over it. And I have gotten over it. It's just, you know, as you bring it up there, Marcy, you just reminded me of that. So thank you for your email. And our last email today is from somebody who didn't put their name down. My wife and I will be on the president's cruise in July, along with the inaugural icon sailing. Obviously we're huge Royal fans. And with the older vision and rating slash ships coming up on retirement and these new classes being bigger than ever, is there a plan to be able to still visit ports that can't accommodate the bigger ships? Just wondering if there's a plan and process, whether it'd be a sim smaller class or ports restructuring to allow for them. It's a good question. Um, and I've kind of a, talked with Royal Caribbean about this here and there, and they, they're, they're cagey about an answer. Certainly, it sounds like today anyway, they have no plans to retire the vision and radiance class ships anytime soon. Maybe if there hadn't been a sh cruise industry shutdown and there was more of a market for resale, it would be in a different situation. But it sounds like, you know, ships like Grandeur of the Seas are going to be sticking around longer than maybe someone would have guessed otherwise. But um, so in the short term, when I say the short term, I'm probably, let's just say the next five to 10 years, certainly, right? Whether or not Royal Caribbean will build a newer class of small ships, I highly doubt it. I'm not saying it's not, I mean, I don't know more than you guys do, but I just, I say I highly doubt it because the reality of the cruise industry, especially Royal Caribbean's aspect of the cruise industry, 
is they are very much based on an economy of scale. And there's no doubt in my mind that their profitability and their way to generate revenue is directly tied to the bigger ships. They're just going to make more money with an Oasis or an Icon-class cruise ship than they ever will with a new Radiance-class cruise ship, as an example, right? Like a, you know, 2,500 to 3,000-passenger vessel. Um, so what will they? What will happen as we move forward here with the other ports? I mean, you know, if you're, if you're a port like Tampa or Baltimore, which has bridges in the way that prohibit bigger ships from getting in there, I mean, at some point... They're, those ports are going to have to make the decision for themselves if they want to continue to be, you know, servicing the mass market cruise lines, or they're just going to be relegated to a couple of, you know, minor ships that go there. I mean, this is, you know, I think in the grand scheme of things, there's usually a good cooperation between the cruise industry and the ports they visit. I mean, they're on the same, they're, they're, they're on the same team, right? They're trying to accomplish similar goals, but Royal Caribbean is not going to build a new cruise port for anybody. Like, um, certainly not without some major support there not on their own they're not gonna say you know what we really love the tampa cruise port we're gonna build a new one outside of sarasota or outside of um st petersburg in order to accommodate that it's just not gonna happen for a variety of reasons it's gotta be ultimately when you're talking about a brand new cruise port or a new bridge <laughs> uh that's all gonna come down to the municipal uh folks down there right i mean and, and i don't see that happening so who knows i mean i think honestly and my crystal ball is terrible terrible predictor of anything but i really don't think you're going to be seeing this kind of issue come to bear until at least a decade from now i would imagine because i think the vision of rating clusterships will be here for a while uh, for a variety of reasons and i think in the meantime they'll be able to continue serving at least the ships that they have there i mean there's only a handful of ports we're really talking about that can't uh, maybe more than a handful i don't think that's a fair assessment there's not that many. I mean, a lot of cruise ports adjusted. When the Oasis class ships came out, there were, I remember initially, there were only like, you know, a couple that could handle it. And over over the years, a number of ports have expanded their facilities. Uh, Galveston is the latest one to do that. And so um, it's just reasonable that some ports will adjust and, 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 and expand their operations. And others will just say, no, this is it. It's either this or nothing. And they're just not willing to do it for either logistical, financial, or other issues altogether. So who knows? Um, but there's no, you're going back to your original question here. You said if there's a planning process, is there a plan? Maybe, I don't know, but Royal Caribbean has not divulged anything, but what I can tell you is from conversations I've had and we've, and I think there's, um, certainly an article on realcaribbeanblog.com when I was on Allure of the Seas, uh, last year, if not a podcast episode, I turned into it. Anyway, uh, they basically said that there's no plans to get rid of the smaller ships at this time. So there you go. Hopefully that kind of sort of <laughs> answers that question there. Thank you for the email. Thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog podcast. And of course, you can always email me your questions, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Until next time, I'm Matt. We'll talk again real soon.